Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Dobry večer and welcome to the Bohemian Podcast with Pete Coleman and Travis Dole. Good evening from Prague, and welcome to the Bohemian Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Coleman. And I'm Travis Dow from the History of Alchemy Podcast. It was an unusually warm day that Saturday afternoon in November, not typical for this time of year in Moravia. The year is 1794, and a lone carriage rambles through the countryside several miles from the fortified city of Olomouc. This carriage carried no ordinary cargo that day. Inside was a prisoner known famously across two continents, a linchpin to two revolutions during the Enlightenment, and a pawn in the dangerous game of the European political intrigue. This man was the Marquis de Lafayette. Unknowingly to Lafayette, as well as to his prison guards, an escape attempt was just moments away. A German national and a young American medical student were closing distance on the horseback. This escape attempt, once a promising plan, would end in failure due to miscommunication. Lafayette would languish in a prison cell for another three years. This evening, we will introduce you to the American Revolutionary War hero known as the Hero of Two Worlds for his service with America and France. His name, Marie-Joseph-Paul-Yves Rocher Guibert de Montier, better known as the Marquis de Lafayette. He was born into a family of noble military lineage on September 6, 1757, in Chavaniac, France. Lafayette's father was killed in a battle during the Seven Years' War, and his mother and grandmother both died in 1770, leaving Lafayette with a vast inheritance. He joined the Royal Army the following year and in 1773 married 14-year-old Marie-Adrienne Françoise de Noailles, a member of another prominent French family. The devoted wife would be of undeniable support in the most trying moments of Lafayette's life. Their marriage produced several daughters and later a son. Lafayette was absent for large parts of their marriage, especially during the American Revolution. And Travis, that's a good good point to bridge off here because he's known to most Americans, probably indirectly, uh, many, many Americans live in cities named after him, probably unknowingly, yeah. because of his rock star status that he had because of his time in the American Revolution. Inspired by stories of other colonial struggles against the British oppression, Lafayette sailed to the newly declared United States in 1777 to join the uprising. Lafayette, believe it or not, was only 19 years old when he made his way to America to lend his support to the fledgling Continental Army. He was a protege of General George Washington. And folks, this, this is kind of the important part with this because George Washington was the father Lafayette did not have growing up, and the young Frenchman was the sol soldier's son that Washington always wanted. That relationship was huge. And part of this was because what endeared Lafayette to Washington uh, and vice versa was the fact that Lafayette was eager to learn from this army and not to dictate European tactics to him and to his generals. Washington greatly appreciated this, something yet his other French peers that gave their, their effort and time to the Continental Army did not do. This humbleness helped Washington to trust the young man 
and he was immediately placed in the field as a general at the Battle of Brandywine. This battle between the Americans and the British proved Lafayette to be a man of quick and decisive action. His quick thinking helped to avoid a continental route and formed an organized retreat, saving lives, and in turn continued to lead an, uh, even though he was shot in the leg. His quick thinking and heroics solidified his place in Washington's side. As the American Revolution raged on, Lafayette was instrumental in, in convincing the French King Louis that the cause was just and needed to put their age-old British rivals to their heels. So Travis, as we can see this, Lafayette really was a young man, but a man of mark, and uh, was re really instrumental in the American Revolution. Uh, for instance, Lafayette was at the final battle at Yorktown. When Cornwallis's adjutant surrendered his sword to the American and French forces, the young republic fell in love with this young general. Like you said, towns and cities were named and renamed through the new states in his honor. There were celebrations and balls honoring the young hero from Georgia to New York. He was basically a rock star of, of his day. With the American War won, Lafayette sailed back to France to take his military place of honor with King Louis. So if you can imagine uh, a young war-decorated general in the form of Lafayette is going back to France. After the Re American Revolution, Lafayette came to be incarcerated in a Central European country beginning during the events of the French Revolution. The Marquis, uh, a general figure in those events, uh, was a moderate who actively supported the concept of constitutional monarchy, a position that alienated him from both the royalists and the radicals, really a man without a country in a lot of respects. He held a great deal of gravitas with both parties. Uh, he was uh, serving as commander general of the Northern Army in France when the suspicion, quote-unquote, of the, the king came about in August of 10th of 1792. With revolutionaries like Robespierre and Danton uh, in control, Lafayette realized that only the guillotine awaited for him in France. So therefore, he crossed into the frontier into the Principality of Liege, which is a group of followers just as the assemblies passed a decree calling for his arrest as a traitor. Uh, he hoped to take refuge in a neutral country, but when he reached the Austrian lines, he was arrested as an enemy of monarchy and sent to Prussia for temporary confinement. So at this point, if you can imagine, here's a guy that returned back to France, and well, to, to keep things somewhat abbreviated here on the podcast tonight, you know, he was in, in, involved in several things during the revolution where he stopped a lot of these horrible lynchings and, and uh, uh, the hot-headedness of the early days of, of the French Revolution from escalating. It still wasn't enough, and he had to leave the country. So on his way out, he was arrested and put in uh, prisons throughout all of Prussia, constantly moved from one to the other. In early 1794, a man named Bollmann was in Berlin, appealing for Lafayette's freedom. Unsuccessful there, he traveled to prison Magdeburg, where Lafayette had been incarcerated. But he arrived just too late, and in May was suddenly transferred out of Prussia, to an undisclosed Austrian prison. The, the Emperor of Austria held Lafayette personally responsible for the downfall of Louis XVI and was determined not to let the general's friend contact him. So Lafayette was moved from prison to prison and his whereabouts were unknown, which is that's pretty interesting. So three months after Lafayette's disappearance, Bowman's search took him to Olomotz, which is, you know, here in, it's in Moravia, in northern Moravia in the Czech Republic, which at, th at that time is basically a fortress city located on a plain in the Moravian section of Austria, which is, you know, Czech Republic. There the young German heard talk of increased security at a prison because of a recent arrival of some important prisoners. So important, in fact, that they were referred to only by number to conceal their identity. Even the guards were forbidden to talk about the prisoners, and these prisoners were locked in their cells behind two doors, one iron, one wood. 
So Bullman felt sure that Lafayette must be among, you know, one of these unknown or kind of really secret prisoners. And, and, and so here's where the, 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 the spy part of this, of this story kind of comes into it. Bullman checked into a, a, a little pub and inn called the Golden Swan in Olamutz. During his visit, made friends with the prison physician, Dr. Haberlane. Haberlane was actually a, a prison physician. And uh, we really don't know how these two really met, but we can believe that Bowman probably targeted the doctor for information as he was one of the few people aware of, of the prisoner's identities. And through him, Bowman confirmed his suspicion that Lafayette was one of these nameless prisoners of Olamutz. After the meeting, Dr. Haberlein became an unwitting accomplice and actually a messenger transmitting notes and books between Bowman and Lafayette himself. It all seemed innocent enough. However, the doctor was permitted and even encouraged to read the letters in order to be assured that they were simply friendly notes and nothing more. But each one contained messages written in one of the simplest forms of disappearing ink, which was what, Travis? Lemon juice. All right. Yeah. Very, very easily to conceal after a while. So Austria at the time was full of spies and suspicious officials, and uh, these officials quickly went on to check foreigners who stayed too long in sensitive areas in Olamutz. So Bowman traveled to Vienna, promising Dr. Haberlin that he would return. It was there that he met the other key part of this escape attempt, which was an, a young American medical student by the name of Francis Kolak Huger. Francis Huger's father, Major Huger, he was killed in 1779 during the siege of Charleston. And two years later, his wife had shipped young Francis off to England to improve, improve his health. By 1794, he had completed medical studies in London, but but before returning to America, he decided to see firsthand the war raging in Europe between France and her neighbors. That spring, he set off to Antwerp. From there, he had moved on to Vienna. And now ready to return to England before sailing for home, the young American was looking for a traveling companion when a mutual friend introduced Bullman to him as a possibility. Speculation on the whereabouts of Lafayette were basically you know, pretty widespread in Europe. Huger had more than a passing interest in the topic. Huger actually met Lafayette and, and, this, and, and Travis, I'll interject here real quickly. He met Lafayette at the age of three years old in South Carolina. All right, his father was was in the mil, was was with the Continentals, uh -huh. and and had hosted or played host to Lafayette uh, during one of his his stations. And a young Francis Huger was there. So there's that connection. So it, it kind of a, a very strange connection. That's um, weird. Yeah. That that would actually prove to be somewhat of a uh, of a neat serendipitous situation later in Lafayette's life. So Bowman said he would join Huger, right? So, you know, Huger's looking for a travel companion. If Huger would promise not to repeat what he was about to hear, okay? So Huger agreed. And then immediately upon returning to the Moravian village, he had contacted Lafayette through Dr. Haberlein, and between them they had worked out a plan, okay? So every other day, Lafayette was driven into the countryside under close guard, uh, basically for his health, you know, and Bullman, he suggested, should overtake the carriage and spirit him away on horseback, basically. So the general made it sound easy enough, you know. He said, we're in a phaeton, he wrote Bullman in the margins of a book. Nobody with me but the corporal, who, by the by, is afflicted with a rupture and, a, and also a clumsy driver. Have a trusty man with you, stop the driver, and I engage to frighten the little cowardly corporal with his own sword. He suggested they bring a third horse saying, I will not have the least difficulty to jump on a, on a lead horse of your man. 
So Lafayette left it to Bullman to work out the details and plan the escape route. No mention was made of a specific meeting place or of a contingency plan, should anything go wrong. So th this was it. It was no, a little haphazard yeah, at this point. No plan right? B, nothing. So it was arranged, however, that when all was ready, Bullman would wait beside the road and when Lafayette's carriage passed, make a signal with his handkerchief. This would indicate the attempt was to be made two days later. Right? So this, this is the signal to Lafayette, basically. Okay, so, so now at, at this point, uh, there's a great article in the book by Harlow Giles Unger called Lafayette, and uh, one of the chapters is The Prisoner of Olomotsen. And just to kind of paraphrase what happened, this is very, very interesting. It's retold by several different accounts of that particular uh, day, that Saturday in November, when the uh, the escape attempt actually were to happen. So, so what happened basically was the two trotted up to Lafayette's carriage. They leaped from their saddles, subduing the guard, and shouted breathlessly to Lafayette to mount one of the horses and, quote-unquote, Godahoff, Godahoff. We will follow. So if you can imagine, Lafayette's probably, you know, saying, go to Hoff, go to Hoff. Probably couldn't make heads or tails about what they're saying. The carriage driver oh. bounded forward to, see, to seek help and was well down the road, leaving Lafayette's two rescuers, uh, but with one horse to make their escape. Knowing that he had less to fear than the German doctor if captured by the Austrians, Huger sent Bullman off to Hoff. Now here's the, here's the deal. Hoff is a little town where they were supposed to meet Lafayette. Yeah. So they're going to get Lafayette on a horse. Gonna, they said to him, go to Hoff, go to Hoff. Uh -huh. All right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you can already hear there's a lot of confusion going on with this. There's a horse problem malfunction if we're yeah. trying to get on the horse. And there's Lafayette just trucking it down the road like a bat out of hell. So Huger and, Bo and Bullerman both set off to Hoff, a small post that's on the German border, where a carriage was waiting to take them off to safety somewhere in Germany. When Bullerman arrived, however, Lafayette was nowhere to be found. So Lafayette had misunderstood Huger and Bullerman's chorus of saying, go to Hoff. He heard it as meaning, go off, like to get out of here. So he raced off, uh, he, uh, thinking those were his orders, following the main road and missing the small lane that turned off to the, set to the town uh -huh. of Hoff. Yeah. Okay? Soldiers caught up and arrested the three conspirators, threw them all three into irons, in solitary dungeons in Olomitz, in the prison. Believing they were part of some international political plot, the humiliated prisoner commander confronted Lafayette angrily and, and pledged that the two young men would be hanged before the, your window, and you'll see every minute of it. Of course, this did not happen, and due to political pressures, Bullerman and Huger were both released at some point, but this made things really difficult for Lafayette, because now his life was going to be much, much more difficult. There'll be no more carriages every other week for his constitution to walk around and and uh, get some fresh air. He was going to be put in a much tougher part of the prison that would really affect his health quite a bit. He would not see freedom for another three more years. When it came down to executing this escape plan in Moravia, it just did not go well. And as we said, it really kind of made life really very difficult for Lafayette. This is kind of the, the interesting point where Adrienne, his, uh, Lafayette's wife, comes into play here. Adrienne was a very loving wife. Uh, she, she also knew that she was also in great danger due to the, uh, the French Revolution and, and the, the days, the reign of terror, if you will, when Robespierre was basically turning everybody in and, and uh, having these mass ex executions by the guillotine. As a matter of fact, her mother and father and grandmother were all guillotined. So she was probably next on that list because of her standing with the nobility. So Adrienne, believe it or not, actually asked the Austrian emperor to allow her to join Lafayette in the prison in Olomouc. And begrudgingly, the Austrian emperor said, okay, 
but you're going to be living in the same conditions and you cannot leave. The moment that you think you need to leave for any maybe health reasons or what, whatever the case may be, you will not be allowed back into the city of Olomouc. So Adrienne decided to do that. She took one of her daughters with her and they both lived in in a cell down the hall from, from Lafayette. You can imagine that moment when Lafayette, his dark cell is open and his wife comes in. You know, they're reunited once again and then he realizes that she's not just a visitor. She's actually going to be a fellow cell, cellmate to a certain extent. Um, so probably a very tempered reunion, uh, to say the least. Adrian did not do very well in the prison conditions. Uh, she wound up having some very, very high fevers and malnutrition. And by January, she got out just in time because Lafayette was released in that January. But the, here's the caveat to that. They were not allowed to go to France. And at the time Napoleon Bonaparte was uh, coming to power, they just did not want this celebrated guy to come back to France to upset the apple cart, so, as it were. They traveled to Dresden and then into Denmark, and they lived there in exile for a while with the help of some, some American support. One of the more, most interesting things I think about his life is during France's July Revolution of 1830, Lafayette actually declined an offer to become the French dictator. Which, you know, going from prison for a year, I mean, it's re he really interesting guy. Well, yeah, well, really let, me tell you, let me tell you, if, if you know General Washington, his, you know, General Washington was, was somebody that Lafayette looked up to almost like a father figure. And he actually, uh, Lafayette named his only that son. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah okay, Lafayette named his only son, George Washington Lafayette. Yeah. Um, so he looked up to Washington. What's one of the biggest things that Washington ever did for the American Republic? He gave, after two terms, yeah, yeah. he gave up power. Yep. All right. That's Lafayette right there. That's exactly what he did, Travis. You're yeah, right, so, on the, right so, on the head on that one. Yeah, so instead of taking the dictator uh, offer, he instead supported Louis-Philippe's bid as a constitutional monarch. And Lafayette died on the 20th of May, 1834, and is buried in, in Picpo Cemetery in Paris under soil from Bunker Hill and the flag of the United States. Now, that's, that American flag that's a, that is over his, his grave in, at Picpo Cemetery in, in Paris was not even removed even during the Nazi occupation during World War II. Really don't know why, <laughs> but uh, given some respect in that sense, and he was wanted to be buried with American soil uh, as well as French soil. He is a hero of two different continents, two different nations, yeah. the French and the Americans. And like we said before, he was a rock star in the United States. This this event that happened here in what is today the Czech Republic during the escape from Olomouc is uh, uh, you know, a failed attempt, but still an amazing story. And I think that at some point, even though it didn't work out, he really probably appreciated the heroics of Bollerman and of Huger, the young American, to, to try to spring him from jail because nothing else diplomatically was working. You can definitely see the respect from both sides on, on, on that issue. You know, the Marquis de Lafayette was a, was a man of conviction. He was idealistic, and in some respects, he symbolized the bridge between two classes. He is well remembered as a hero of the Enlightenment to the French and the American people. Uh, the connection he has to the Czech lands was a dark period in his life. Imprisonment in Olomouc, of course, with little hope of freedom, must have been a time that scarred him to a certain extent. Yet it was proved to also be a time of finding strength in his family and showed the dedication of his friends in a failed escape attempt. He became an American citizen and received honorary United States citizenship, believe this, in 2002. It took that long. It took really? that long. Interesting. <laughs> it took that yeah. long. 
There is a memorial plaque commemorating the 200th anniversary of the departure of, of the general from the Olamitz prison, which was placed in the old Jesuit barracks prison, which is now the building of military administrative archive on Republic Square in the in downtown Olomouc. On a side note, I, I was in Paris a few years ago and I wanted to pay my, my respects to General Lafayette uh, at his cemetery. And the, the funny quick story about this is that I told the taxi driver I wanted to go to Picpus. And he kind of looked at me and goes, oh, Picpus. Oh, okay, so we drove to Picpus. And so there's no cemetery in Picpus. Back in the, in the late 1700s or in the, in the early 1800s, it probably was an open field. Now it's nothing but a city and a giant hospital, Picpus okay, Hospital. Okay, yeah. So we drove around a little bit. I said, just drop me off here. I'm wandering through the city, and I, and I come up to this big door, and the sign that says Lafayette. And I'm like, oh, well, this might be it. I knock on the door. I ask this guy, I'm sorry, do you speak English? And he goes, he goes yes, I do. I said, is this where the Marquis de Lafayette is, is buried? He goes, he goes, way, way. And, uh, and, I, and I said, can I, can I come in? He goes, oh, no, it, it's closed. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Really? So, yeah. so I got as far as the door because he's buried actually inside a courtyard now. The, the buildings have built all around okay. him in the past yeah. several hundred years. And it's, it's in there. So, uh, you know, I, I got close to say, Lafayette, I am here. <laughs> uh, but not quite. I, you know, I think that there's many Americans that would understand that he was a, a vital part to our American Revolution, and uh, as you said, Travis, an amazing man that lived it in a very heady times and during the the age of enlightenment and the age of revolution. And I think that uh, it's interesting that we can actually connect him to the Bohemian Podcast because of of his imprisonment in elements. We want to thank you again for listening to the Bohemian Podcast. Please visit us at bohemican.com and uh, give us some, some feedback if you like what you're listening to and uh, some maybe some story ideas as, as we move forward. So thanks very much for listening and have a great night. Yep, thank you very much. You have been listening to the Bohemican Podcast with Pete Coleman and Travis Doe. Visit bohemican.com for more information on this episode, other episodes, and much more information about history, traditions, and culture in the Czech Republic. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, and review, and don't forget to rate us. We would love to hear from you. Send comments, ideas, and corrections on our comments page on bohemican.com. Or get in touch via Facebook or Twitter. Tune in to our sister podcast, History of Alchemy, which is also on iTunes or on historyofalchemy.com. Until next time on the Bohemian Podcast, thank you for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.